Okay, so when we started this series, we started talking about um, just those things that, that uh, help us find life and find living, and we use the acrostic lead, uh, I'm sorry, real, and if you, um, if you remember, the R stood for in real. What did the R stand for? There are certain things you have to what? Reject. Reject. Yeah, you gotta say, I'm not gonna go there, I'm not gonna do that. Uh, some of those things, you could use, put the word resist. A um, long time ago, I had a sermon series. We never did it. Uh, but we worked on it called uh, resisting corruption because there's a pattern, a plan for our lives and uh, it's hard to resist the things that would change that pattern or that, that plan. And then the E, uh, Brian talked about those things that we not only reject, we also what? Expect, yeah, because your expectations are key. And then last week, um, in one sense, kind of what I really wanted to build the series around um, you, the A stands for there are certain things you just have to accept in life, that you can't change them, there's nothing that you can do about it, you just have to accept some things in life, and some of, the, some of that is really hard. Um, if you've ever been around people uh, in AA, you will hear the serenity prayer. Does anybody know the serenity prayer? It's a great prayer because it kind of deals with that, uh, and especially those people who are struggling with alcoholism or addictions, or there are a lot of, you know, shopaholics, you know, whatever you're struggling with, you know, there's some, oh yeah, I know, I touched someone, there we go. And it's called the serenity prayer in modern day because it goes like this, Lord, uh, give me the serenity to first do what? The, the, the serenity to accept that there's some things I cannot change. And accept those things, I can't change those. And then give me the courage or the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the braveness, the courage to change the things that I can, that, that need to be changed, that I can actually work on those things. And then the third part of the prayer is, and give me the wisdom to do what? Know the difference. Yeah, you do know that prayer. That's a good prayer, you know? And it's a hard thing, because we really struggle uh, sometimes with that. Now we get to the last one, and uh, none of these are necessarily sequential. You have to do, look at them in that way. They all kind of work at, at giving us uh, a real life uh, you know, in, in this world, and they all come from this uh, a strange book that we read called the Bible you know, that tells us a lot about how we should live that life. And so I put this one in there, and I wanted to get you stirred up. I like to do this because this one, the title of this sermon is called um, Our Most Godlike Characteristic. And of course, since we're filling in, you already figured it out, real, R-E-A-L, then you know that the L stands for what? Oh, I like it. Nobody knows what it stands for. I got a chance to ask some people and I tell, in fact, the last second I asked Brian because he didn't know about it and I said, Brian, so uh, this is called uh, our, our most godlike characteristic for the L. And all Brian did was, oh no. Uh, you know, because he's like, you're trying to stir it up again. Yeah, this is one of those things. And then, but the last person I really asked, uh, I said, so what would you think? They did this, maybe you would do this. They said this, and I liked the way, the way they responded to it. They went, okay, we all know it's love, you know, but, you know, and so they did it like that. And I thought that's really good because it's, it's one of those things we think, okay, I know. You know, the L stands for love, so it's not love. Not, not how I did this. And you may say, well, I don't agree with you. You can disagree with me, it's okay. You know, God gives you the freedom for you to think and whatever, and you can be wrong. And you know, I mean, you can have your own, your own the way that you, that you look at it, right? Of course. So, and, and I, I do, I, I work on these things. And I think, okay, you know, how, how would I portray this? Now? So here's, here's what I'm gonna give you, a different word uh, for the L. Reject, expect, accept, and then the L stands for, the way I would look at it is learn. And I think it's the most important and maybe the most amazing characteristic that God made people with. All of us have the ability to learn, don't we? In fact, we not only have the ability to learn, most of us would admit that we have the hunger to learn. I mean, that's, that's part of it is I want to know. I want to learn. I want my life you know, to, to have some sort of meaning to it, so I wanna learn what about my life? What can I do? How, how can I participate? What, what am I capable of? I have grandkids now, and one of the things that is, is amazing is just to watch how quickly, as little kids, they learn, right? They just pick it up, they catch things, they, and, and all of a sudden now, two of them are around one year old, and uh, they are picking up verbal skills, language, 
And the really cool thing is, is they, they are talkative. I mean, they talk, 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 talk. Now it's their own language, but they, but they talk, you know, who knows what they're saying. And they're, they're trying to communicate. They're trying to, to either say, here's something I don't like, or here's something that I want. And I, you know, and, um, and my, my daughter, cause I was with her for about three or four days. Her rule is no whining. You can talk, but no whining. There's no whining. And, uh, so it doesn't work. They whine anyway, but you know, it's just part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Language skills are incredible. Think about it. You and I learned to speak a language. Did you go to school for that language? Well, you went afterwards to correct it and to say, here's proper grammar, here's how you write it. Well, but you picked up the language long before you ever went to school because your brain has this incredible capability of imitating and learning and picking up and developing a language skill. And let's be honest, it's a good thing it works that way, isn't it? Because we would never have learned the language, most of us, you know, if it just not come naturally that we learn and we pick it up and you figured out how to speak Texan. You know, it's not really English, but uh, you know, it's a version of English. You've, you figured out how to speak what you heard and what you imitate. And, and that is just an incredible thing. I think it's because you and I were built to learn. We were built to try to figure out what is right, what's wrong. Again, what we should expect, what we should reject in life. We were built to develop skills and possibilities, and let's face it, uh, every generation, as time continues to move on, has a chance to build their understanding and their knowledge and what they learn on what the generation before them experienced, understood, and learned. And, and even though as we get older, many times we look at our lives and we say, yeah, but I'm getting older. I'm just not as capable. And it is true, yeah, it is true that, uh, you know, the old saying, what is it? You can't teach an old dog what? New tricks. Yes, you can. <laughs> it's just harder because we've learned all the old tricks, right? And we don't want to let go of those old tricks. And, uh, and some of it is not a bad thing. I saw an article uh, this week. I th thought it was really interesting. It was talking about generations. And uh, the article said, um, is, as far as all the studies that they've done, you know, they, people that surround and work on this, that the new generation, so if you're a Gen Z or a Gen X or something, the new generations are three times more likely to be scammed than the older generation. If you're in the old generation, don't you, aren't you excited about that? Yes, thank you, so finally, you know, because they said, you know, there's this, there's this idea out there that it's all the old people that get scammed. They said, actually, it's not. It's the younger ones that get scammed. At an, at three, that's, that means there's a 300% greater chance if you're a young person that you will get scammed or conned in something than an older person would. And I know that, you know, as, as, as my little bit older grandkids and my kids go, they say, it's because y'all don't get out and do anything. That's what that, you know, okay. So that may, may, be, the, may be the reason for it. But it is, it is true. You know why? Because as you get older, you develop some understanding, you learn, you spot things. I would say one of the things that hap has happened with me as I've gotten older, in some ways, I'm more cynical. Are you that way? Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, right. They're offering me this deal. This, what, what is it really all about? You know, because you've been there before. Um, I grew up in a small town. Uh, as I always would, would tell people, uh, you know, when they say you came in on a pumpkin truck, I pretty much did. So, you know. <laughs> And, uh, and I learned, you know, you, you learn through your experiences, the things that you go through, because that's what God made us for. He made us to learn. And that's why God even reveals himself to us, because we are capable, we are. We're capable of change, of God bringing change in our lives. We're capable of learning. We're capable of, of growing. Think about even the Bible, when Jesus leaves, so he's resurrected from the dead. He goes and he meets with his disciples. You'll find this in the last chapter of Matthew's version of the gospel. And at the very end, you get down to this and it says, you know, they came and, and they worshiped him. But it said, but some of them, these are his followers, some of them still doubted. In other words, they just still hadn't figured it out and still weren't, weren't sure of what exactly was going on. And Jesus said something to him. He says, listen, 
All authority, all authority has been given. Do you know what the verse, what he says? All authority has been given to who? To Jesus, yeah. He says, all authority has been given to me. He says, therefore, here's what you need to do. You need to go and make what? Disciples. Go and, that's a learner. Go and make learners. Go and, and take people and, and what they do really well, they learn, they figure things out, and, and you go and you make learners, and then he, he talks about their identity. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So this is a new identity for them to understand who God is and understand that God wants them. And God has made a provision through his Son to have them become a part of his life and his family, we were made for that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, and teaching them. Well, why do you teach? Because they can learn. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then Jesus says this wonderful thing, which is absolutely true. He says, and lo, it's for the people who are really short, and lo, that's the King James, I am with you always, even to the way, to the end of the age. In other words, no matter what you go through, no matter how difficult life is, no matter how uh, much struggle you go through, what he's saying is, don't quit. <laughs> don't stop. Don't stop learning. Don't start hanging on and believing because he never leaves us. He never deserts us. And if you think about it, it it's true. It's, it's pretty amazing what you and I get to go through because he's left us with, uh, here's my lime green Bible. He's left us with a book. So this book spans thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And you can go back and you can see how people knew God before and what God did in their life. And then what came up and then came to the, to the really the pivotal part uh, in all of history, 2000 years ago when God sent his son Jesus into the world and Jesus changed everything. And all historians, if, if they have any, any real sense of, of history, say this is the event that changed the world more than any event that there ever has been. Of course it is. You know, it, it, it made enormous changes in everything that happened because God sends his son. You get to know about that. You can read about it. Four different versions of the gospels if you've never read them. Um, a guy that was a tax collector, a guy that probably writes for Peter because he's with him all the time. Luke is a Gentile and he is a doctor, he's a physician who decides to compile it all in that sense from an academic and say, I wanna make sure that we get all of this right so that you would know how this happened. And then maybe the closest person of all to Jesus, John writes his gospel from a different perspective because of his closeness. You, you get to read it. And you get to go in and say, wow, I mean, he is still teaching us. He's still showing us. Think about this. When he says he doesn't leave you, you know, alone, he doesn't. Because his promise was, when he left, that you would not be alone. Instead, he would send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God would come to be with us from then on. In fact, even Jesus even said, because he told them, he says, I'm leaving. And they go, well, that's not good because you really changed our lives for the last three years we've been with you. Why would you want to leave? We don't want you to leave. He said, it's actually better if I leave. Because if I leave, then this helper can come and be with you wherever you go, wherever you are with all of you, where here now, and this was true as Jesus was on the earth, Jesus was just in one place at that time. He's God, but he's God sort of confined in a sense to a human body for one purpose. All of a sudden that changes afterwards after he's risen and he leaves us and that the Holy Spirit comes and he lives with us. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, he even gave you something else for you to learn? He gave you other people, right? And people that, that believe, people go through the same struggles you do, people have a, a sense of, of confidence in who God is and they are growing and they are learning and you get a chance to be around those and uh, even though uh, when I was younger I didn't think this was true as much, the younger get to learn from the older and, uh, and the older, sometimes you may not think this, you may think, well, they don't wanna know anything that I, oh, yes, they do, because we're all hungry for information and knowledge and learning and to know what do you give your life to? What do you follow in life? When I was at a church in Houston, um, the, the pastor, a really good friend, uh, Dr. Young, um, he brought in a guy named Chester Swore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poll and ask because it's always one of those things I like to. Anybody ever heard of Chester Swore? 
Anybody? Where have you been, you know, all your life? And uh, I can give you some of his songs. No, he didn't write any songs. But he was a, a wonderful man, an older man, and uh, uh, just, there was just something about his life. So Dr. Young had him come in one weekend. Um, as he came in that weekend, the attendance was not very good. So I still remember after the first time he spoke, and Chester Swore was a man with a lot of physical infirmities. He had a problem with one of his legs, he had to walk with a cane, he had a special shoe, one of his ears was bigger than the other. He had all kind of physical things that happened to him through life, but he was a man who was just filled in his old age. He was really old at this time. He was filled with life. And he spoke the whole time, I still remember his first session, he spoke the whole time about you younger people, don't stop dreaming. Don't stop, you know, believing and expecting good things. I mean, that, that was his whole message was all about this life that is there before you. And he seems so full of life and you think, but he's really old and he's gone through so many difficulties. How can he be so full of life? Well, it's because he learned something. He learned something that kind of set him free and it changed his life. And I still remember because we went to this meeting and it was not a good meeting, just to let you know, because the attendance was not real good because just like you, nobody knew who he was. They didn't know what he could actually say or, or the spirit of what he would bring. And so Dr. Young just hammered us, all staff in there. He's all over us, which he would do every once in a while. He was on us. And he says, that, you know, here's this man, incredible wisdom, so much to give, and apparently, you know, Dr. Young had heard him when he was young, and he says, and look at the attendance. You get out there, and you get on the phone, because he spoke again the next night, and you call as many people, and you call all the people that, you know, are under your charge, and I did single adults, and we had a lot of single adults, I had a lot of teachers, that you call them all, and you get as many people in here. Now, here's, here's the thing. When I would call them and I'd, I'd say, hey, have you heard Chester Swore? Who? What? You know, the same issue. But he was absolutely right. What he had to share and what he had to say was phenomenal. It was amazing. It still impacted me because at his age, with all of his infirmities and all of his struggles, he was so full of life. He was so full of life. And he still wanted to learn and he would still just push us to say, you need to learn. Don't quit. Don't get you know, bottled up. Don't get stuck in a rut where you're just given up or you've, you've lost your spirit. You become cynical. You become you know, bitter. You become exhausted or whatever. And it's easy to do that. Of course it is. And so he would just do everything he could to just pump us up because he knew there was so much more that God had for us. I think it's true also. And I think, like I said last week, if you were here, this is your time. It is. This is my time. You don't get another one. So if you don't take advantage of this time, then you miss it. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's there for you to grasp it and not to let your struggles and your troubles and your difficulties and things that didn't go what your way, don't go back and pout and hide somewhere and quit and give up. You'll go through that, sure. But you gotta get over it. You gotta learn to get over it because there's still so much of an opportunity for you to know and for you to grow, and it's, it's why God made us. Just to let you know, when Jesus is born, you can read this in Luke's gospel, or he's been preparing for uh, Christmas, and if you get near the end of the second chapter, the, you know, the Christmas story there, one of the things you'll find is they take Jesus to the temple, and they're dedicating him according to the law, and it says that they fulfilled all the things in their Old Testament law that they had to concerning Jesus, and the very last verse or two right there in the second chapter of Luke says, and that Jesus as a little baby continued to grow and he continued to learn before both men and God. There's several other places that say exactly the same thing because at this point, Jesus is God, but he's in a bodily form of a baby. And so he is going to learn and grow um, as he should, as a human being. Now, it's not that God needs to learn and to grow. I know that there's some religions that think that, that God learns and grows. That, it's not true. God, you know, is presented as the one who knows everything already, and he can do everything. But he made us with this characteristic. And he made us with this characteristic because of who he is and because of the relationship 
that you and I can have with him. So in John's gospel, that's what I'm gonna turn to uh, with you uh, today. This is John's gospel, chapter number eight, if you wanna turn there. It's just a great chapter. And um, Jesus is actually um, there. He's talking to the uh, religious leaders and to the disciples. And he talks about being the light of the world and look at. But right before this, they, they, they're trying to trap Jesus and trying to, to um, condemn him because they don't like the things that he's saying because he's not saying it the way they want it to be said. And he's not, you know, supporting, supporting them the way that they want to be supported. And it says, remember this story, they, they bring a woman, he's there in the temple and they bring a woman into the temple and bring him for him and kind of push her into the middle of this courtyard who has been caught uh, in the act of adultery. She's been caught in the act of adultery. And they wanna know, okay, the law of Moses says she's to be stoned, what do you say? Because they're trying to trap him and trick him and they think they've got him here because if, if he says, yeah, the law of Moses says stoner, so stoner, they know the people won't like that because Jesus actually came and he, and he brought freedom to them. He brought a whole new idea of life and so they knew this would work against him. But if he also said, you know, no, don't stoner, then they knew that they could condemn him based on the law. So it would look like you got him, right? Gotta remember, he's smarter. <laughs> he knows what, what you and I don't know and what we don't understand. And so Jesus does this unusual thing. Do you remember the story, what he does? He goes and he just bends down and he starts writing on the ground, it says. What is that? And so they're still kind of struggling and trying to decide, you know, what to do. And they keep, you know, pressing him, give us an answer. And then he says this. The one who is without sin cast the first stone. And it's just like right now. <laughs> Everybody's just kind of frozen. What do we do? What do we, you know, now he's put it back on us, right? So if you throw a stone, what, you, what are you saying? I have no sin. <laughs> Uh-oh, can't do that. But you want to stone her because you know that's what the law says and you want to you know, appear more righteous certainly than, than she is. And um, so it says slowly, and I, I like this. It, I think it's very pointed. John's very pointed. He says, and beginning with the older ones, they began to drop their stones and walk out. They left the courtyard. So before long, there are no older ones, it's just younger ones, still standing with sons. Because when you're younger, a lot of times you have more fervor, right? And you got more, oh yeah, we're, you know, and so they're like, and I'm not gonna, uh, you know, and then eventually the older ones are gone. So you know you get no support from the older ones. And finally the younger ones drop their stones and walk out. And, and it says that, that he's there alone with her. Probably some of his disciples are there too. But basically the courtyard empties. I mean, there's nobody else there. And, and so then Jesus asked this, and he asked this of the one who's been condemned. She has no defense. She, you know, she says, are there any accusers left? And she goes, I'm sure very timidly, no. And he says, so neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He forgave her. Now let me tell you why learning is so important and why it's so important that you understand who God is. What's your hope? What's gonna get you to the next place in life? What's gonna help you move forward in life? What kind of message are you gonna give to your kids, the people around you? What, what are you gonna share in life that's gonna help people that would be better than this message, but you have to learn it. She learned it because personally, she went through the experience of being forgiven. Jesus did it many other times. In fact, sometimes when he forgave, they would condemn him for doing it. He says, you can't do that. Only God can forgive sins. Remember when the, when the friends brought their, their, their buddy and they lowered him down through the roof? Remember that story? And uh, those, it's crowded, they're packed, Jesus is teaching and they can't get in, and so they have him carrying him on his pallet. So what they did then is there are these thatched roofs. They start disassembling someone's roof, start pulling it apart so they can let him down with a rope 
into the crowd, and of course, you know, there's no room, you can't get in. Well, you can if someone's coming down through the roof. It's amazing how much room you can, you know, all of a sudden, because this guy is coming down, they let him in, and, and the owner of the house is going, what, my roof, you know, what, what is going on? They're, you know, we have these strange termites eating a hole in the, and he comes down, and Jesus has this guy there, and you know, he can't walk, and Jesus says to him, what did he say, do you remember? He said, your sins are forgiven. You know, it's funny because he didn't say his sins are forgiven because of the faith of the man. He said, your sins are forgiven because of the faith of who? There's some guys up on the roof. You don't even get to see them. Maybe they stuck their head to the, you know, but probably not because you don't want to have to pay for the roof. So, you know, okay. So their faith actually caused this guy to find forgiveness, forgiveness in his life. And the Pharisees didn't like it. They were upset because you can't do this. Only God could forgive sins. And Jesus, I love this, Jesus didn't argue with them. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't say, oh, well, wait. No, he didn't argue with them. Because by what he's doing, Jesus is actually proving that you're right. <laughs> and so what would be easier, he says to them instead. Brilliant. What would be easier? Say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk. You ever thought about that? What would be easier? Well, you know, it's easier actually to say your sins are forgiven because if you say your sins are forgiven and somebody says, well, prove it, how do you know? And you know, you can say anything you want to. It has no, you know, realistic, you know, impact upon the person just right there. But if you were to say stand up and walk, now all of a sudden, what's gotta happen? What's gotta happen? If he doesn't walk, <laughs> you've, you've been proven to be uh, faults. You know, you don't know what you're saying. You're, you're making up things. And so he says, but so that you would understand, so that you would understand that the son of man, that was a title that he used for himself, has the authority, the ability to say, your sins are forgiven. He says, take up your bed and walk. And here's what's amazing, isn't it? He does. The guy stands up and he walks. Now, do you think the people in that room learned something about Jesus? Oh, in the most profound way, they learned something about who Jesus was, that he had the power and the ability to heal a man he could walk. It, it pointed to and it illustrates that Jesus has the power and the ability to do something that is much more incredible, and that is to actually forgive our sins. So here's what he says. I know you think long introduction. Okay, so here's what he says. This is in verse number 12 in John chapter 8. Listen to what he says. He says, So Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, Listen to this. I am the what? The light of the world. Yes. He shows you things. You see things that you never understood before. You get a chance to learn some things about. God's compassion that the Pharisees desperately needed to learn. They understood about the law and the truth. They didn't understand about God's compassion and just how merciful God was. I mean, they, they talked about it, but they did not understand how to demonstrate it themselves. So Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in what? Oh, you have to walk around as if you don't know what's going on. You ever walked in darkness? Yeah, of course you have. I did it this morning. So early in the morning, about four o'clock, I get up and my chihuahua, I know that y'all love hearing about my chihuahua, little, little Teddy, um, I, I get him up, you know, feed him, goes outside, then he wants to go in to where my wife is, cause you know, that's warmer in there with all the covers and it's dark and so I have to pick him up and walk in and there's some toys still on the floor from the grandkids. So I'm tripping and falling as I go, waking, of course, everybody in the house up, making all kinds of noise because I'm walking in darkness. I can't see it. I'm stepping on things. I'm like, you know, and I finally get there. Didn't say any bad words, just to let you know. I didn't. And, uh, but I got there and to a little bit growling chihuahua and got him, you know, where I could put him on the bed and I could walk back out and trip over a few more things on the way out. Yeah, you don't want to walk in darkness. It's painful, <laughs> you know. The light is better. You can see where you're going. You can see how things are. He says, they won't walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. He says, the Pharisees, verse 13, replied, you are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. You can't say that about yourself. Jesus told him, he says, these claims are valid even though I make them about myself. 
For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I am not alone. The same thing he promises us, Jesus says he had also. He's not alone. The Father, he says, who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness and my Father who sent me is the other. And, and then they say, where is your Father? You know, because they, some of them even knew that, that Jesus had this Father you know, up further north named uh, Joseph. Where, where is your Father? And Jesus said, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my Father is. But written in here is you can learn, you can. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury, but he was not arrested because his time had not come yet. So it was not his time. Uh, they wanted to arrest him, they didn't. Then if you jump down uh, a little bit later, um, because I asked this question, I think, shouldn't, shouldn't they have known who Jesus was? I mean, of all the people, shouldn't the religious leaders have known who Jesus was. Let me ask you this. I mean, with all that you've gone through life and what you know about good and evil and, and, and things that are bad and things that are, that are not bad, shouldn't you know? Shouldn't you be able to see something about Jesus and say, yeah, but this is not a normal guy. And what he says is not normal and what he does is not normal. Shouldn't we have known who this was? I think it's a valid question for us also because it's not like we don't know things. It's not like we don't have information. It's just that there's some things about us that make it difficult, just like with them, to know what we, what we should know. And so you'll see, he's gonna actually point out some of those things. This is verse, um, uh, verse number 12. Uh, I'm sorry, let me, let me jump to, uh, this is in uh, Chronicles, because I, I want to go back to the Old Testament real quickly. A lot of it is because of what's going on in Israel and all this too. But even in the Old Testament, they knew that there were some things they needed to do, because this is when Solomon's building the temple, and he builds the city and it's time to dedicate it and all this is wonderful and they're so excited about life. And then God adds this because he knew there would be this time in life that they would mess up. They should know, but they, but they mess up. And this is what it says in a Second Chronicles chapter seven. You probably know part of these verses. It says, then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and he said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. He's talking about the temple. And he says, and if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, and he, and he does sometimes. He does it to teach, to chastise, to punish because they've, they've gone astray. And he says, so when that happens, you know, if I do this um, so that there is no rain or if I command the locusts to devour the land or if I send pestilence among my people, it gets our attention, right? He says, my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves, and they will pray and they will seek my face. They will turn from their wickedness, their wicked ways. He says, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. Now my eyes will open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. So, so God understands and God made provision, even in the Old Testament, for the fact that this would happen, that we would miss it. And of all the people, the religious leaders would miss it um, also. And so then here's what Jesus says back in uh, John's gospel. He says, so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand I am he. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me, uh, is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. Then many who heard him say these things believed in him. So even Jesus is, uh, um, as he's speaking to them, um, Jesus is showing a sense of humility to who he is uh, before them, because th this is key for Jesus to approach this um, in a sense of I'm offering myself for you, because this is what the Father wanted, this is the Father's will, because Jesus could do whatever he wanted to, but he wasn't gonna do something that was outside 
the Father's desire, which is supposed to be something that they catch on. And they are, they're like, okay, maybe, maybe we should be a little bit more like this. But that's not how they approach it. Look at verse 33. It says, but here's what they say. We're descendants of Abraham, they said. We have, we have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean? And let me go back into verse 31 and tell you what he meant. So Jesus said to the people who believed, you are truly my what? My learners, my disciples. You're truly my learners, my disciples. If you remain faithful to my what? You keep learning. You, you keep growing. You keep letting God teach you and show you. That's what makes means to be a disciple. And he says that wonderful phrase, and you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. Yeah, because you know the truth. And they say, not us. Why did they say this? Why would they say not us? I know you say, well, they're gonna give a defense, and they are. Why would they say that? Why would you and I say not me? Why? Because we have this stubborn pride in us. No one's gonna tell me that I'm not right. No one's gonna tell me that it's different than the way I see it or the way I have figured it out. Even someone like Jesus who comes from heaven puts on flesh and blood and comes to live in this earth as a sign, as a symbol, to show us what God is really like. There's this stubborn pride that we carry with us as human beings to say, but I've figured it out. I've got it the way I want it. I'm not gonna let anybody change. Boy, what a mistake. We were not built for that. God made us with this ability to humble ourselves, to recognize how much bigger God is, how much greater he is, and to learn some things that really benefit us, that really help us. They don't hurt us. They help us if we can uh, get our stubborn pride out of the way. But they struggle with that. So again, verse 33, but we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Don't you think this is kind of a laughable moment? Because at this time, 2,000 years ago, when they say we've never been slaves to anyone, I would think Jesus, I, this is what I would have done. He didn't. He was nicer than I was. He would say, remember the Romans? <laughs> remember the, the soldiers that are in your city right now? Remember your limited power? Because the, the Pharisees had been, a lot of their authority had been taken away from them because the Romans only gave them limited authority because the Romans owned them. The Romans took taxes from them. The Romans laid out the laws and the rules for them. They didn't like it. They wouldn't admit it. Their stubbornness said, oh no, not us. But it was true. So Jesus said this. He said, I tell you the truth. Every, again, that, that word. Everyone who sins is a, say this with me, everyone who sins is a what? That's right. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. What he's saying is when you sin, when I sin, I, I'm, I'm proving that there's something else that is mastering me because sometimes the sin that I commit and that I do, I don't even want to do, but I do it anyway. This is Paul's wonderful chapter in Romans 7. You know, wretched man that I am, why do I do these things that I don't want to do? Yes, because there's something else mastering me. He says, um, a slave is not permitted um, I'm sorry, a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So that's what he adds. If the son sets you free, right? Not another person. If the son sets you free, he says you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you're descendants of Abraham. And yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I'm telling you that I... Uh, what I saw when I was with the Father, but you were following the advice of your what? You're following something else. And he's trying to get them to understand, just look at what you're doing. So is what you're doing, is this the work of the Father? Or is this the work of another Father? And he's talking about, of course, Satan himself, the enemy, who comes to kill, to destroy. Yeah, that, that's what he does. And he is the the father of lies, of deception, uh, the Bible says. They say this in verse 39. Our father is Abraham, they declare. 
No, Jesus replied, for if you really were children of Abraham, you would follow his example, Abraham's example, his faith. Abraham wasn't a perfect person, but he believed and he trusted God. Instead, you were trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. Now you are imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. And here's what Jesus says in 42. If God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he has sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It is because you can't even hear me for you are children of your father the devil and you love to do the things that he does he is a murderer from the beginning he has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him when he lies it is consistent with his here's that word again his character for he is a liar and the father of lies so when I tell the truth you just naturally don't believe me which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. See what Jesus is saying, same thing can happen to us. Their stubbornness, their own pride, their own desire to, to do what they want has clogged their ears. <laughs> they, they can't hear the truth. And when you can't hear the truth, you can't learn, you can't grow, you can't move forward. You need the truth. Even if you don't like the truth or it doesn't fit the way you have figured things out, when you hear the truth, that's what sets you free. Now you get to follow the, the path of the truth, which is the path of God himself. You know that if, if you will trust God and you will put your hope in God and you will follow him and you will say, I know that he rescued me and, and you will try to live as best you can for what is, what is true, what you're doing is you're putting yourself in his hands saying, I am trusting him. Even though part of you may say, well, yeah, but if I tell the truth, it won't work out my way, so I'll tell a lie instead. It's a mistake. It's a mistake. It always has been because God is the author of truth and when we stand on a lie we stand on something that is not of God or here as he's telling um, the Pharisees you're standing on the father that you trust it's not God because if it were God you would be more like Abraham you do the things that Abraham did and you would love and you would live and you would stand on his truth now like all of us, sometimes we develop thoughts or ideas or parts of what we believe that don't fit. And, and that's why it's important to learn because if it doesn't fit, you go back and you say, yeah, but this is the truth. And so I'm gonna let this guide me, even confront me. Paul tells Timothy this. He says, for, for all of this is inspired by God. God has spoken this so that we can learn. And he says, and it's profitable for us. It will, it will tell us when we're wrong. Um, it will say specifically that's what's wrong. It will train us and teach us to do what is right so that we will change the path that we walk to be a path of following Christ, following the light, and letting his truth set us free. And it all comes through Jesus Christ himself. I thought I'd show you as we close here just this little clip. and. Um, this is a guy, if you've never heard him before, named Alistair Begg, and he's Scottish, and you will pick up the accent. The, he sounds smarter than us just because of his accent. I don't know why, but that's just, that's just part of it. And uh, it's funny because he, uh, he went to school in London and then in Edinburgh, and then eventually he came, and he has a church in Ohio where he's preached for 40 years in Ohio. And so he's at Baylor University, and I love this, this clip because it is so profound what he says. And if you grasp it, it is, it, is, it is so freeing when you understand who Jesus Christ himself is and what he has done. And in this clip, he's going to the story of the, the three uh, 
uh, the other two guys on the cross with Jesus, and if any of you realize it, but you know, it's just one cross and the scene when Jesus is crucified, there are three, and it's just an incredible story, and it's hard to understand. It's hard to grasp, you know, because we're just like, now wait a minute, there's one guy, and there's this change that happens, right? Yes, but, but you have to understand the connection. What was the change? What made the change? Because it's the same for me, just like it's the same for you. I think you'll get a lot out of this. I think he's highly entertaining. So here is Alistair Begg. Without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense—I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet— you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, uh, did you, <laughs> excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? Guys, <laughs> I've never heard of it in my life. And and what about? Let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said, "The man on the middle cross said, I can come." Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me. And as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. And it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's why Luther says most of your Christian life is outside of you in this sense that we know that we're not saved by good works. We're not saved as a result of our professions, but we're saved as a result of what Christ has achieved. That is good, isn't it? Yeah. So one day, my hope would be that you're gonna stand in heaven, you're gonna be there in heaven, and an angel will be there, and the angel will say, you made it. <laughs> you made it, yeah. How did you make it, right? And the only way, as he says, the only way you make it is because of that guy on the cross. He said, I could come. It's not what we do. We can learn, and we should be learning. As Paul said, you know, 
I worked harder than everybody, but it was actually not me, it was Christ working in me. Sure, there's a, there's a part of who we are that we give it our best, we learn, we do, but it's Christ himself who gives us, I feel like I'm talking like him now, Christ himself, I'm, I got the accent, you know. It's Christ himself that actually brings us to that place, he sets us free, that's what Jesus is talking about. You stay with me, you listen, you learn, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You're the only way and the only one who could ever rescue us. You proved it by sending your son into this world to give his life, to do something for us that we could not do ourselves. All because of your love and your compassion for us. And, and Father, it, it has been the thing that has brought the most good change to this world. If you're here and you've never trusted that when God sent his son Jesus Christ into this world, he sent his son for you. Maybe you've spent so much time trying to figure it out yourself, trying to to do good things, trying to to find the right formula, maybe find the right answer, and, and it seems so so simple and yet so profound that God would put on flesh and blood and come to live in this world so that he could live a perfect life, not for himself, but a perfect life so he could offer that perfect life as payment for my sin, for your sin. You can say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you did for me what I could never do for myself. And I thank you that, that if you rescued me, you must have a plan for me. You must have so many things that you want me to learn and you want me to, to do because of what you have done for me. I, I wanna be that person, that man, that woman, that young man, that young girl who lives by a different life, a life that is now living inside of me because of, because of you. So Lord, thank you for your forgiveness, your love, your compassion. Show me how to live that same love and compassion. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.